Like any young person in a new job, Bill Davis was nervous. I mean, my so, first job at 16 as an office boy in the city of London. So, um, yeah, I got thrown into the deep end. Well, you had to understand what was going on in a hurry, didn't you? Yeah. Well, office boy doesn't have to understand too much. He has to know the word sandwiches and go. <laughs> <laughs> this jittery young office boy would go on to write speeches for Margaret Thatcher, have lunch with the Queen, and convince Prince Philip to host a party. I asked him his opinion on Brexit. You know, the British still haven't quite got over the fact they no longer have an empire. And that has taken a long time. I think to part of it, the Brexit thing is due to so a lot of people started thinking somehow they're superior because we had an empire and we won the war. That's the way. Bill Davis sounds like a born Englishman, don't you think? Now listen to what he says about his childhood. We were bombed out and I really had a very bad, very tough childhood. You had to learn, certainly that he was in the camps we were in, um, you had to learn to become tough and self-reliant. Our school was bombed out in Hanover. We all moved into the mountains where it thought would be safer for a while, for a year or two. Uh, that's where we were trained to be. The future warriors of the Führer. Adolf Hitler, the Führer der deutschen Jugend, hat das I'm Steve Levine, the host of America the Bilingual. This episode is the first in a new series of our podcast called Conversations With. These are talks that we have with bilinguals who have unusual stories or intriguing points of view. Let's get back to my conversation with Bill Davis, who is not a born Englishman. He was born German, and that was the other reason why that 16-year-old office boy was nervous. What was it like when you came to England as a 16-year-old German? Well, difficult. <laughs> it was after a few years after the war. And, of course, London was still bombed everywhere. And being German wasn't a, it wasn't a done thing. So I changed my name from Gunther Keys to William Davis. And uh, Davis happened to be my new stepfather's name. And uh, Was that hard to do? Was it hard to change your name? No, no. Although my mother was by that time married to an Englishman. So at age 16. Yeah. Or my 16th birthday. Your 16th actually, birthday. Exactly a day, yeah. That's, that's at a kind of a critical period in um, uh, linguistic development where linguists say that after about that age, it's yeah. almost impossible to acquire a native accent. And yet, and yet your accent certainly seems well, native to me. I tell you why. I was very fortunate, and I think this is very important. I had a teacher in wartime Germany who was a great fan of England. And the way he taught us English, and I loved English straight away, 
because he didn't teach grammar. He taught us about the country. He made England the enemy sound intriguing. Oh, he was a professor. He was a very important man. What was his name? We were Osha Bunker, Dr. Bunker. So, Dr. Bunker, what, wasn't that sort of seditious, what he was doing with his students? Uh, of course it was seditious. I mean, you know, the Gestapo might have got hold of him. I'm having this conversation with Bill many years after the end of World War II. We're at his home in Valeris, France, a town on the French Riviera where Picasso lived and worked. The view from Bill and his wife Sylvette's living room is one of the most fabulous I've seen, even on a rainy, cloudy day, which it was. But let's return to war-ravaged London, when Bill was 16 and had only been in England for a few weeks. One evening, there was a knock on the door. A couple of boys stood there and uh, in Boy Scout uniform and they asked me if I would like to join the Sea Scouts, Kensington Sea Scouts in London, and I was happy to do so. We had a nice boat on the Thames. I fancied myself as a sailor on, on the river, you know. <laughs> but being with the boys, you had to speak English. In fact, on the first day, they said to me, um, uh, what's your name? I said, Gunther. I said, oh, we can't pronounce that. That sounds German. No, no, I can't do that. Haven't you got any others? <laughs> well, my, one of my other names, <coughs> Christian names, is Wilhelm. Which they said, oh, that's Bill. Isn't that William in English? I said, yeah. He said, okay, Bill. That's it. That was it. And so Wilhelm, now Bill, started his new life in his new country, whose language he already loved. In one of life's ironies, this born German ultimately became the Minister of Tourism in Britain. In that role, he encouraged his staff to learn other languages. I tell you why I think it's important, and why I would like every parent to teach their children to become bilingual. People then say, well, English is the language of business. Everybody speaks English. Well, life is not all about business, is it? You've got to understand the culture of other people because it enriches your life. So if you go, having learned French or Italian, you go there on a holiday, you don't talk to these people just in English. Uh, you talk to them in their language and you get to meet people, you get to talk to people. And also, reading books in another language, learning watching television, watching films in another language, Bill told me that American culture has infiltrated England. Here we are in Europe, and culturally, we have more American television, we have more American culture than we have our European culture, and that's very sad. So, in a way, it's a blessing that Brits and Americans are born with English as their native language. Is it also not a blessing in some ways? Well, not. I think, uh, frankly, I'd rather be born with English, uh, with native language, than with, with the Czechoslovakian or Swedish. A lot of Germans learn English, partly because for so long, and certainly after the war, 
Germany was occupied by the Americans in Frankfurt and, the, and uh, in the north of Germany by the British and so on. So, but, you know, um, there's an affinity in the part of Germany where I come from, Hanover. And of course, in my case, Hanover, it was, of course, the British royal family. I had lunch with the Queen. I was invited to lunch at Buckingham Palace. And uh, she said, uh, I understand that you, you were not born in this country, Mr. Davis. And I said, no. I, I said very cheekily, I said, I come from the same town as your family, Mum. And Prince Philip, who I'd met before, I said he means Hanover. Uh, well, and how did she ha react to Hanover that? produced... Oh, she laughed. Okay. Uh, she's, she's very nice, and she's, she's not, not stuck up at all. Bill was also the editor of Britain's Punch magazine and once gave a journalist named Tina Brown her first break. He's also written 18 books. There's another book he told me he's always wanted to write, and finally, he's doing it. I've always wanted to write a book about the manipulation and corruption of young minds. Particularly relevant, of course, because of the Islamic fanaticists are doing to young people. And uh, what we see in Germany, uh, see in America, white supremacists, if you like. But he says the main reason he wants to write this book is because of what happened to Germany during the Third Reich. Bill was born in 1933, the year that Hitler came to power. So at the age of 10, I had to join the junior branch of the Hitler Youth, and um, I was a very active member for two years until the end of the war. Membership was compulsory, and it's only really now in old age I really had time to think about all that. It had enormous influence on, on me, and so... How so? Oh... <sighs> Idealism, patriotism, all these fancy things that you teach a kid. It's like being taught to believe in Father Christmas or, if you like, Jesus, and we're taught to believe in Hitler. And uh, then the letdown is so tremendous. But not only that, but uh, the reality of war. I saw my first dead person when I was 10 years old. I mean, you know, these things stay with you. Although I was 12 when this ended, and glad when it ended. Uh, when the uh, war ended? Yeah. I was at home, somebody said, the Amis are here. You know, Americans were called Amis. And, um, they were called what? Amis, Amis. Amis? Amis, yes. I thought you said enemies, No, Amis. Amis. Like uh, short for Americans. Short Americana. Didn't know yeah. that. So I took off my uniform and got on my bike. I cycled to the station where they were lined up and there they were all in jeeps and they were handing out chewing gum. And I thought, hey, this is the enemy. They were so friendly. And I thought, hey, you know, this is not bad. I thought up to now that the you know, English were the enemy and they had won the war. I didn't know they hated it so much. Bill sees a different kind of enemy today which he feels obligated to write about. 
The book is called uh, Seduced by Hitler and a warning from history because one want my children and grandchildren to know how easy it is once a totalitarian state takes over it can happen anywhere. What did you hear in the American media that made you think to write this book? I was watching Donald Trump on television during the um, election campaign. We watched CNN every day and uh, during the election campaign I saw all this exact kind of talk, not only America, make America great again, but the locker up, the mindless shouting of locker up. Make America great again, what does that remind you of? Make Deutschland German great again. Exactly the same slogan. Can you say it in German? Deutschland erwache. Deutschland, Deutsche werden groß werden. Wieder Deutschland, it's so viel. I met him once. Bill's talking about the time he met Donald Trump, back when Bill was a magazine publisher in the 1980s. One day, he took the Concord from London to New York to meet with Donald Trump about doing a magazine for him. Trump asked Bill what he thought the magazine should be called. They asked me what I think the title of the magazine should be, and I had the idea that deck of cards is Trump's. You know, Trump's means that you've got five winners, you know. So I said that Trump's. He said, no, shouldn't it be Trump apostrophe S? In other words, me, me, me. You know, and I said, no, no. The next day, Bill got a call from Trump's secretary, who said... Uh, I had a call next morning from his secretary saying he changed his mind. So, okay, that's fine. Uh, so I had a lucky escape. At the end of interviews, I usually ask people to say their name and whatever title they like to use. I am William Davis, ex-editor of Punch, ex-BBC broadcaster, chairman of publishing companies... If you're familiar with Gilbert and Sullivan and Pooh Bar, European, an old man, 85. And, um, well, I just like to enjoy life. There was another thing I wanted to know. How did he manage to sound so English when it was not his native language? You mentioned the accent. Again, I've used this, recited this so often on programs, radio programs in Britain, Australia and, and other countries. Four lines, four lines that enables a German to lose the German accent when he learns English. What are they? I'll give you the four lines now. All that you do, do with your might. Things done by half are never done right. You see, all the problems that Germans have with A, the TH, the R, the W, they're all in those four lines. It's a pretty good motive for life as well. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFOL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. Special thanks to Sylvette Duclos for inviting my wife Lori, our son Corey, and me into their home on a rainy day this summer. This episode was written by Mim Harrison, the editorial and brand director of the America the Bilingual Project, and produced by Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. The associate producer is Becky Rankin. Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Meet the team, including our bark lingual mascot, Chet, on americathebilingual.com. 
Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.